to the public view. Archie Logan could see a half-adult boy in jeans and black leather jacket slumped in a chair in front of the television. How long, Archie wondered, slamming the cottage gate with vehemence. How long since that boy had been in to see his grandmother? He looked up at the October sky. The sun was just beginning to go down behind some dramatic streaks of grape-colored cloud, and for no reason that he could think of, Archie Logan was suddenly and poignantly reminded of a holiday he and Liza had had years before. An autumn holiday in Tuscany, when they'd been caught in a thunderstorm at Bagno di Luca, all among the rocks and the river and the chestnut trees. They'd been drenched, soaked to the skin, and while stumbling back to their car, had been accosted by a courteous man with an umbrella who had taken them back to his immense and battered Edwardian villa and given them baths and malt whiskey. Archie could see Liza now, wrapped in her host's mothy old camel-hair dressing gown, sitting on a club fender with her bare feet held up off the marble floor, sticking her tongue down into her whiskey glass. The Tuscan winter rains, their host had said in his beautiful English, can be long and terrible. The thought of Liza made Archie think he'd go home before evening surgery. Liza would be at home because Wednesday was her whole day off from Bradley Hall School, where she taught part-time and Mikey would be back from school, and he'd see Imogen before she was put to bed. And there might be a letter from Thomas, a letter to heal the wound of his first letter from boarding school. I don't see why I have to be here, Thomas had written. It's awful. I liked going to school in Winchester, and then coming home for bed. I don't like going to bed here. It's when I cry. Archie got into his car and banged the door shut with unnecessary violence. He drove off at great speed, and old Mrs. Mossop, who'd been waiting for his farewell wave, although she planned to ignore it, drooped a little in her solitary chair. Liza Logan, her red curls tied up in a black watch tartan ribbon, was sitting at the kitchen table hearing her second son's reading practice. Across the table, Imogen, who was three, drew uneven suns and stars on the cover of the current parish magazine with a black wax crayon. In the utility room off the kitchen... Sally, a local farmer's daughter who looked after Imogen while Liza was teaching, and did a lot else besides, was pulling out of the tumble dryer an avalanche of socks crackling with static. A liver and white spaniel sprawled on a blanket in the corner was the only creature to rise politely when Archie entered and wag its feathered tail in greeting. It's Daddy, Imogen said to her mother helpfully. Liza raised her face for Archie's kiss. So it is. Archie kissed her mouth. He always kissed her mouth, however casual the kiss. It had been her mouth, with its faintly swollen, bee-stung lower lip, that had first drawn him like a magnet across a room at a party, to peer at her with desire and fascination. The party had been to celebrate Liza's engagement to someone else, and Archie had been taken along by a mutual friend who disliked walking into parties alone. The morning after the party, Archie had begun to lay siege to Liza, and within ten days he had captured her from Hugo Grant Jones, and instead of a sapphire surrounded by very bright new diamonds, Liza was wearing a battered old half-hoop of garnets that had belonged to Archie's dead mother. Five stones, Archie said, sliding the ring onto her finger. For five words. Will you be my wife? Will you? Oh, yes, Liza said, and then without meaning to. Yes, please. It had been like young Lochinvar. Fosters, Fenwicks and Musgraves, in the form of Liza's outraged family and friends, unleashed a torrent of disapproval and pressure and objection. 
Archie put Lies into his car and drove her to Argyleshire, where his father had a house on the shore of Loch Fyne, a house without a telephone, and kept Liza there for two rapturous weeks. Then he brought her back south and married her. When I come home, he said to her now, his mouth still almost on hers, why don't you get up and wag your tail? Oh, I do, in my mind. You see, my kid just got to this perfectly riveting bit about what a kestrel gives its young for breakfast, and not even the entrance of... Mice, Mikey said suddenly. Kestrels eat mice. They like bloody things. So, said Imogen, who had a lisp, do I. Archie went round to look at her drawing. Black stars. How very sophisticated. Imogen looked at him pityingly. The yellow is broken. Of course. I've just been to see Granny Mossop. Not a word of her condition will I breathe to higher authority, or it will be hospitalization for her at the double, and she'll die of a broken heart before her liver does it. Her fucking bloody daughter. Archie. Sorry. Her selfish and heartless daughter brings her garbage from the Star of Agra takeaway, which her poor guts can't even begin to cope with. Can you imagine? I'll make her a milk pud. You're an angel. But she won't thank you. Liza raised her face to him. But you will. He bent again. Oh, I will. Fucking, said Imogen conversationally to Mikey. Shh, he said delightedly. Sally came out of the utility room with a plastic laundry basket heaped with folded clothes under one arm. Mikey plucked at her as she passed. Did you hear what Daddy said? Sally, whose home life vocabulary was comfortably thick with obscenities, said she had. Archie said, Sorry, Sal. It's all the same to me, Sally said, picking Imogen up deftly with her free arm. What you say about Sharon Vinnie? Imogen put her arms round Sally's neck. I said fucking. I heard you, Sally said, without interest. And if I hear you say it again, I'll smack your bottom. Come on, bath time. Not hair wash. Imo, Archie said. Won't you blow me a kiss? But the nightmare of probable hair wash had gripped Imogen's mind, and she couldn't hear him. When the door had closed behind them both, Imogen could be heard still pleading urgently as she was carried up the stairs. Even if Sally wasn't a tower of strength, Liza said, I'd employ her simply to wash Imogen's hair. Archie, your father rang. He gave her at once his complete attention. As she often remarked to friends and to her sister Claire, who was the only one of her family she ever really saw, she'd never known a father and son as close as Archie and Andrew Logan. At first she'd loved it, but she'd felt taken into a powerful, impregnable male citadel as a precious captive. They had both brooded over her with exciting possessiveness. She had been transformed from being just the third daughter of a Hazelmere accountant into someone particular and valuable. But, of course, in time she had grown used to that transformation, and now the bond between father and son seemed to her rather more exclusive than inclusive, and to have about it an air of male self-sufficiency, which, try as she might, she couldn't help resenting. She sometimes thought that if Archie hadn't retained his power to stir her so, she wouldn't have minded his adoration of his father so much. What did he want? Isn't he coming on Sunday? Oh, he's coming. But he wants to bring someone. Of course, Archie said comfortably. Morris Crawford, it's about the new series. No, Liza said, shutting up Mikey's reading book and rising. It's a woman. A woman? Good God. 
Liza began collecting up the mugs and plates on the table. She's called Marina de Breton. He sounded quite excited. Marina de Breton? Yes. What a deeply affected name. She can't help that. She's the widow of a Louisiana cotton king or something. American? No, Liza said. Greek or Italian. She put the mugs on the draining board and came over to Archie. Darling, don't look so thunderous. I'm not. You look, Mikey said encouragingly, just simply bloody livid. Dad doesn't have women. You don't know he has this one. He only wants to bring her to lunch, for goodness sake. Who said he sounded excited? Archie, Liza said exasperatedly, don't make so much of so little. He would do this, cling obstinately and exaggeratedly to a mere shadow of an idea, and make a whole imaginary mountain of it in no time. And it was one of the things about him that drove her mad. Others were his untidiness and the impulsiveness that throbbed in him as steadily and regularly as a second heartbeat. Perhaps he'd inherited all these disordered qualities from his Welsh mother, because Sir Andrew Logan certainly hadn't passed them on. You're being a fool, Liza said to Archie. Mikey was watching them both with troubled interest. Your father says may he bring one harmless woman to lunch, and you behave as if she was a... a... She broke off, at a loss for an analogy. A wicked witch, Mikey said, and then added, because his suggestion had fallen into a complete silence. I expect... Archie shrugged. Sorry. Anyway, Liza said, even if she is someone special, you ought to be pleased. For him, I mean. Archie looked at the clock above the cooker. Lord, it's ten to six. Liza, I've a few calls to make after surgery, so half past eight.